science. Hi, I'm Mark Thornton. Welcome to the Stories from Science podcast. It's a chance for anyone to meet the people who do amazing things in science across Oxfordshire's Science Vale. We discover their stories, learn what inspires and frustrates them, and ask the question, what do you actually do all day? Stories from Science Our blue planet has a defensive shield. Without it, life wouldn't be possible. This shield is made up of layers. Ozone absorbs damaging radiation, and a magnetic field deflects the solar wind, preventing it from blasting our atmosphere away. But in the Anthropocene, our species has created a new layer, built on a swarm of satellites orbiting high above the Earth. Invisible, ubiquitous, just as critical to our survival, a thin veneer of data. We're highly dependent on it, from how we navigate, communicate, maintain security and track everything from disaster to climate change. But there are also huge business opportunities to be had from gazing down at the Earth from the high frontier. For this episode of Stories from Science, we sat down with Philip Briscoe and Andrew Carroll. Based on the Harwell campus, they are part of one of the fastest growing companies in Earth observation, Resitec. Using many of the hottest areas of research, from climate science and biosecurity to data analytics and machine learning, Resitec transforms data into something called landscape intelligence, used by governments, NGOs and business customers around the world. From protecting our forests to managing our water supply, we'll discover just how powerful and transformative this approach really is. You need to know about the Earth Observation Revolution. We have, literally and metaphorically, only just scratched the surface. I'm uh, Dr Andrew Carroll and um, I work for Resitec here on the Harwell campus uh, where I'm the Chief Technology Officer. So I manage the technical team here working on uh, Earth Observation Data Analytics. And uh, so my name is Philip Briscoe, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Restec. So that means I'm more focused on you know, how we get to market, which, which products and where and to who. And do you want to just give us a flavour of what Resitec does? Yeah, so we're, we're very much uh, a processor of uh, satellites, image data and uh, another uh, geospatial data set. So we don't own or operate any satellites. We bring in uh, data from different uh, institutional and commercial data providers. Uh, there are a lot of satellites in orbit now that we can draw upon, which is a really useful source of uh, data that's both global and uh, very up-to-date. Uh, but we don't just sort of look at a, an image and try and pick things out by eye. We're very much focused on using machine learning technology uh, okay. and other computational analysis techniques to extract information content from that data, often combined with other map-based data, so soil maps, for example, if it's uh, relating to crops, or um, weather data as well can be a, a very useful data source. Uh, that's always aimed at answering some kind of business question um, to provide uh, an information service to other businesses uh, who are operating on, on a landscape that they want to understand better. Okay. And we always like to start the podcast with kind of anchoring it in the here and now. So we're, we're sitting in, I guess, the, the, 
This is the Resitech boardroom. This is, this is the Resitech boardroom. So we've just moved into brand new office space as of three months ago. This is a brand new building. And we're um, on the Harwell campus. We're on the Harwell yes. campus, yes. And this is the home of the Harwell Space Cluster, yeah. as well as other sorts of high-tech um, you know, sectors. Um, and we've been actually on the site for six years now. Uh, we were uh, spread across the site as we've, as we've grown, and then the last three months we've uh, reunited into this <laughs> brand new office space, um, which is going to allow us to grow, you know, for a few years to come. Yeah. So you're you're very much part of the space cluster. You're one of the, the, the companies that sort of you know that people talk about when they're talking about the companies that are here on the Harwell campus. We are, yes. We're we're kind of one of the. Uh, yeah, the representative companies. We're kind of wheeled out uh, as one of the success stories uh, did, from from Harwell. I, I did spot. Did I spot you with Tim Peach? Well, yes. So, uh, right, so so the other day we, we normally represent the you know, what's called downstream space, which is really you know looking at um, uh, satellite data applications. So we were, were we met the science minister, science university's minister, Sam uh, Gimar. And he was accompanied by uh, Tim Peake for his visit. And then a couple of weeks before that, we had um, uh, the Duke of York, Prince Andrew here, who's the patron of the of, of the, the space um, cluster, the space sector. So he was here. Uh, so we again, we we one of the five companies yeah. speaking at that event, uh, and, and and met him and uh, uh, introduced what we do. And, and I think, I mean, again. There's a lot. I mean, look. Just to just to kind of paint a picture, if you like, for people listening, we're on. Uh, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of building work going on. I mean, this is this is a real hotspot for, for for UK industry at the moment, isn't it? And and the space sector in particular. Absolutely. There's always a new building going up here. It's it's definitely a, a fast growing sector, and um, this is a, a great location for companies to expand. Not least because there's the land, yeah. uh, and there's that sort of pool of uh, of resource and people Excellent. working in the same sector you know, to to work together. So and, and in fact, while we're on the, the obviously the, the podcast goes out slightly later than when we actually talk, but this morning there's been a whole slew of sort of announcements from the I think it's the Farnborough mm. International Air Show, and one of which is there's going to be a, a new spaceport um, up in Scotland, as I understand. Um, but there is a feeling that space is is going to be a huge area for the UK. It already is, but it's it's grown very very quickly, and I guess you guys are sort of part of that um, that fast growing sort of industrial segment. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, very much so. I mean, the UK is already um, a leader in satellite communications. Uh, some um, big business, uh, particularly based in London, in the satellite communications sector, and ESA have put their uh, Exat centre here in the UK. Yep. Um, but with that focus, um, there are other parts of the, the space industry in the UK that are very fast growing um, and you know, have a much longer road to go in terms of commercial exploitation. And we're really um, one of the businesses leading the way in, in commercial application of Earth observation technology, which is, uh, if you like, the, the new commercial use of satellite data. And in terms of Earth observation, then, so, so you describe yourself as downstream what did you how did you describe it downstream space or that's that's the kind of sector term okay. for for data you know that, that that is produced from satellites yes and so you know our focus is on taking that data interpreting it and providing as Andrew said business applications applications that solve problems for different organizations are you happy to take data wherever it's from that you can sort of add value we to are it? we are agnostic really to the the source of data and the, and the sensor that it comes from so we use data from from a broad 
uh, range of, of sources from um, you know, institutional data, which would come from the European Space Agency's um, satellites or, or NASA satellites, but also, you know, we, we also use commercial data. So uh, uh, really whatever fits the, the job. Yeah, uh, and in fact, in terms of our services, we're almost always combining data sets from different suppliers and different sources. We're, we're very rarely you know, just taking data from one source and, and processing it to produce an output. Right. Most of our work is about applying data science techniques to, to bring together different data sources from quite different suppliers to, to create a, an information output. So just understanding that what you call an information output, so might, do you think it might be useful just to give me an example of, of maybe a project that you're working on or something, just so people have a very clear idea, so where you've, you know, you've got some data and presumably you're delivering it, who, who, who would your customers, who, who are your customers, who are, who are using the, 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 the outputs of what you produce? We work, we work with lots of different companies across lots of different sectors all around the world, but let's take say forestry as a good example. Um, so I'll allow Andrew to go into more detail about how we do that, but essentially we are providing um, forest owners or forest managers with the outputs of our analytics, normally in a kind of visualised format within a, a portal that we've developed. Um, but it's like a website someone can go to. It is log absolutely in login, secure, secure login, and they're presented with the visualised outputs of the analysis that we've done. So it might be looking at what different types of species are actually growing in their forest, or in order to derive you know, volumetric information, you know, what's the value, the real, the real you know, return on investment there is us being able to tell them what the value is in their for of the timber in their forest far more um, effectively than perhaps more traditional methods. Yeah, so, and to do that, we bring together different satellite data sets such as uh, optical imagery, but also radar imagery. Um, but we'll also take into account things like the topography that um, uh, a forest is growing, so the, the, the shape of the landscape. So certain tree species will grow at higher altitudes, put simply. So if we see trees uh, uh, in a woodland at a higher altitude, we know that they're more likely to be from certain species and we can eliminate other species before we've even looked at any imagery. So that's one way in which we bring in other data sets to, to help guide our analysis um, and, and pick out the species for, for these forest operators who are trying to manage that woodland. And is that, what kind of, I mean, is this kind of any forest or you know, is it tropical forests or is it sort of hard, you know, sort of... It tend to be more temperate forests. Okay. It uh, could be managed natural woodlands that's being used for sustainable forestry for the, the timber industry, or it could even be plantation forestry, where essentially it's it's like a crop. It's just that the crop cycle isn't one year, it's maybe 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just a, a much longer term investment for the landowner and the, the foresters. So without giving any proprietary information away, um, is it a case that you're looking, you're just doing a kind of a statistical analysis or do you use do, do you kind of have some built-in knowledge I mean you've already touched on machine learning or a slightly more algorithmic ways of, of doing this but I mean are there you know if you've got a, a picture of a forest from space is that a too simplistic way of looking at it are you looking over periods of time are you drawing on data from the ground are you sort of you know, what, what kind of intelligence are you sort of using you um, so the answer to that quite long <laughs> list is basically yes so we, we bring together on the modeling front a combination of 
machine learning, yes, but also we will use science-driven process models that actually have some understanding of, of the physiology of, of species that we're trying to map, uh, and that could apply in agriculture or forestry. Um, and similarly, in terms of data, um, we aren't just looking at a sort of a red, green, blue picture that you and I recognise. We're looking at spectral content that goes beyond uh, what the visible eye can see. And yes, we're looking over a long time series as well, because one of the things that can distinguish uh, trees is uh, obviously how they behave over the course of the seasons. I mean, is, is, do you, in terms of your customer, have you got a very sort of clear remit in terms of what to deliver and um, the reason I ask that is you know there are lots of things that you could there are lots of things you could tell from from forestry and I, I'm very aware that certainly in certain parts of the world you know there are people who are taking the trees when they shouldn't do um, so you have illegal forestry all things now the, the, the temptation must be to you've got all this data and you you could you could investigate all kinds of, you could look at pollution, you could look at stress, you could look at storm damage, you could look at all kinds of things. But are you are you incredibly disciplined in terms of what you look at because of the customer, or are you always thinking, hmm, could we could we look could we could we potentially look at something else and turn that into a, a product to, to use? Well that that's the you know, that's the ongoing challenge yeah. is we can't look at everything. You know, we're a commercial organisation. Uh, you know, some of our some of our growth or response to demand has been organic, but largely, you know, we have a very planned approach to how we're growing the business and how we um, extend our you know our forestry services. But largely, you know, we're driven by where can we provide a payback, where can we provide a tangible return on investment, because ultimately, our customers aren't going to. They're not, uh, you know, they're not like they're not interested in going on a fishing expedition. They want specific answers. Exactly, yeah. and also where we see the opportunity, where can we upset, you know, disrupt traditional methods with satellite data. Now, with forestry, we offer two areas of interest, and these are repeatable, reusable. Um, I mean, we can talk a bit about how we add in new species uh, in a bit, but essentially, one area is looking at forest management. So, if you're a forest owner manager you know you will want to know what's growing in your forest how much of it you know and then work out what value is there in my forest you know so, so, so you know, forest and that that's pretty common across most commercial plantations but also you know looking at other sorts of, of, of areas of forested land as well and then the other area is more around monitoring so what's happening to my forest over time uh, and this is where we're looking at very regular updates so for example if there's a big storm um, you'd likely to have storm damage, but where is it? You know, you've got a finite amount of time to then make an insurance claim, for example, against loss of, of, of timber. Um, so we can quickly tell you where that is. Uh, you know, for example, can we detect an early pest or you know, disease infestation? Okay. That's incredibly important because there are you know, huge commercial ramifications of not finding a disease mm. or, or pest um, infection early. Um, so, so there are two kind of areas there. There's forest management, but there's also the ongoing monitoring. So that's really where we focused effort to date. That doesn't mean that we will not expand those services, and we will, but we're largely driven by where is there a repeatable opportunity, yeah. essentially. Stories from science. So the science really is in the, would you say it's in the, the algorithms or the models that you deploy against the satellite data? Is that really the core of... of Yes, very much yeah. so. It's it's that analysis of the data that's um, the, the sort of core of what we do. 
Um, and that's a, a combination of Earth observation science, which is uh, understanding the information content in the satellite imagery mm. itself, and uh, data science, which is really about how to extract the information that you're, you're looking for from, from that data. So it's bringing together those two disciplines uh, to create uh, our information outputs. Uh, the, other, the other technical specialism I suppose we have in, in quite a big way is um, web data services because uh, as Phil said, you know, what we produce ultimately is uh, an online information service. Um, so that's uh, an environment that users can log on to, extract data, uh, explore that data, chart and manipulate and, and do analyses. So, so that's kind of like a, a user interface, that's yeah. tools that are, that are useful because presumably people need training in terms of how to read and understand. Um, but is, I mean, they do, but we try to make it as intuitive as possible. Okay. Um, and by providing it through that sort of online software environment, uh, it means that different people in a business can easily access the data, even if they're not so technical. So managers can, can get an overview, for example, uh, without having to necessarily dive into the detail. Mm -hmm. uh, and those who do want to dive into the detail can extract the data and, and go into the number country. Okay. And we can also provide data downloads, so a lot of organisations have their own systems. Uh, I mean, key to, to our success is really being able to integrate with existing workflows yeah. and, and systems and processes. So if our customers so wish, they can download the data and import it into their own systems. So we're very flexible in terms of how we deliver and provide access to the analytics. So what's the size of the market? I mean, what's, I mean I've already thought of several things which you could use, but you know, I mean, I'm not, don't, I don't need to, but I mean, I'm just thinking, is it the case that there's plenty of other things that you really, is, we're only just scratching the surface? That's absolutely it, we are just scratching the surface yeah. there. If you look at where this sort of technology's, you know, traditionally taken place, so, you know, you've got the, the kind of car counting in Walmart sort of approach, which is to really provide kind of retailers with some sort of, uh, you know, analytics so they can forecast demand um, and then you've got a bit more of the the kind of uh, I guess environmental you know ecological you know mm -hmm. input looking at you know deforestation etc um, but where we're trying to take it is to make it far more kind of mainstream b2b and really embed it into all sorts of different sectors so whether that be um, you know water companies uh, you know local authorities foresters you know agricultural processors uh, and just finding, you know, tools which are um, can be easily integrated into their existing workflows, but provide that added value which they don't have at the moment. We also have to find somewhere, some way of um, providing additional information which they wouldn't necessarily have, and ultimately that has to drive some sort of, you know, economic, yeah. you know, cost-effective benefit. But that's interesting because, uh, so if, if you imagine a customer like a local authority or a water utility, and we're in the middle of a heat wave in this country at the moment. <laughs> Um, presumably, there are there's some interesting things that could be done in terms of looking at uh, taking a global and by global I mean ac across the whole of the region um, view of, of how of, of how things are uh, you know how the, the, the landscape is behaving in terms of the, the, the water or lack of it. I mean, is that something that you because I know you work with water? Yes, absolutely. So we worked with um, a number of water utilities looking at helping them manage their catchments. Uh, so they can make the most efficient use of, of the water you know, as, it, as it lands. Um, and also, of course, as you say, the, the, the lack of water 
is going to have a big uh, impact on, on rain-fed agriculture. So uh, that's another area where you know, the fore we can forecast well what's, what's the actual quantitative impact of that going to be, and then those people further down the supply chain who are relying on that agricultural mm -hmm. production can then get an insight into what, what effect that's going to have on their business. I mean, presumably the water companies have got a lot of that sort of covered with, with water monitors and things like that. So in that particular instance, where, where, where does satellite data, where can satellite well, that's, data? Well, that's the, that's the micro, you know, that's the, that's the ground up. So yes, they have a lot of information about water quality, but actually, you know, if you, if you look at the bigger picture, you know, where's the risk of, say, diffuse pollution coming from? So if you look across very large areas of land, we, could, we can um, start by looking at what, what's, what's the land use, what, which crops are being grown, where and when. Oh. And then once we've identified that, we can start okay. to look at, well, what's the topography, what's the hydrology of the area? So whenever there's fertilizer or pesticides applied to those crops, where the first time it rains, where is that pollution likely to end up? And there are lots of uh, you know different things that you need to, to consider. You know what type of soil is there because some of that fertilizer will be will drain into the soil and then to the groundwater. Some of it will just flow straight off over the surface, especially if it's you know, dry conditions. Some of it hopefully will be absorbed by the plant. So you know there's a lot more nuanced approach to looking at the the landscape, what how it's being used. And how it's changing called for environmental factors. So, so how do you how do you embed that knowledge within your well within ResTech or within the, the software? Is that a case of, of, of hiring people who are experts in all these different areas, or do you work with is this what you're talking about, of packaging up the data and then handing it over and saying, Well look, you you've got the data, you can probably go and do the do the analysis yourself or what's the what's the kind of you know, in that specific instance, because that sounds that sounds incredibly valuable. So yeah, we have a mix of science skills in-house and we do provide a you know, packaged output. So we'll do the analysis of you know, what's where on the landscapes, so all the different land uses, different crops. Um, we'll um, analyze the topography to work out where water will flow. Mm. Um, we'll look at the rainfall data to understand you know, uh, what, what the rainfall runoff rates would be. Uh, and then do the, the hydrological analysis to see, well, we know what these different uh, pollution sources are, you know, where's that pollution going to go and what, what's pollution you're going to get in, in the actual water courses. So that is, if you like, a, a package solution that, yeah. that we provide. But yes, it does very much draw upon different science disciplines uh, working together. Wow. That sounds incredibly exciting and stimulating. Is that kind of... Is that is that a good summary of what it's like to work here? <laughs> it's it definitely is. interesting stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. We work with... Um, you know, organisations like Portsmouth Water, Bristol Water, other water companies, yeah. um, uh, uh, Metro Pacific in the Philippines. So what they do is what, what we essentially provide them with are you know, decision support tools because they know where the risk is for, for water quality based on, on the land use. So they can then feed that into their, their own kind of catchment management services. So instead of the catchment managers having to go out and try and see what's being grown where and when, plus all of the other inferences of, of, of the landscape, we can provide them a, a map that tells them what's being grown where and when. We can look at the risk associated with uh, all those sources of, of, of um, diffuse pollution, for example. Um, and that can be used by the water utilities at catchment management within the water utility, but also with uh, other kind of water quality type coalitions, consortiums. Um, but also there's a, you know, there's a, there's a big link then into agriculture because they, you know, you can, we can help 
farmers and you know agri processors start to have a much better idea on how on the implications of land use and how best to use uh, some of those um, inputs. You're absolutely right, though. A lot of these things could be done by taking measurements on the ground, of course, and you know that is often the legacy solution that we're replacing. The benefit we bring is that you can scale over much, much larger areas um, at relatively low cost. And you don't need down to sort of smaller and smaller resolutions, which you just can't do with sticking sensors in there. That's right. You can get a, a lot of detail, um, but also cover very large areas without having to deploy an army of, of surveyors. And, and that actually, you know, goes back to what we're talking about in forestry and again in agriculture. Mm. It applies to a lot of what we do. Staying on the science theme, uh, and, and, and your own in-house of science. Where did Resitech come from? It, does it, I know you've got links with universities. Did it? Was Resitech actually a spin-out from a, a university? Or was it a case of taking some research? How, how did it all start? So, a um, couple of the founders. There's a chap called Dr. Michael Cross. Also, a chap called Professor Mark Maslin, who's professor of climatology within the um, geography department at UCL, University College London. So way back when, you know, six years ago, uh, the company was actually bought, bought uh, you know, into existence with the goal of trying to use satellite data to work out um, carbon, carbon estimates in, in forests to support you know, carbon credit trading, essentially. Okay. Um, so the first kind of year was, was spent uh, developing a, an approach um, using, actually using NASA data uh, and other sorts of data inputs to derive an estimate of the amount of carbon in a forest, essentially by looking at the, um, the, the, the amount of carbon that might be absorbed by a, a leaf within a tree, and then you just start to you know, scale that up in terms of you know, statistical analysis. So that's really where it started. Um, and then I think we thought, well, actually, we probably need to find a slightly more commercial route. Um, so it, evolved, it evolved. It evolved, yes, and it's been evolving <laughs> ever since. In the marketplace, yes. Yeah. But that's essentially where, where okay. the company started. So, so do you still have links? So, what do you still have links to the universities? Do you still kind of? Yeah, those people are still very much involved, and we are actually collaborating with a number of other universities as well now. Uh, So, we're working, for example, with the University of Nottingham, University of Reading, on uh, on projects. So, yeah, very very much involved with the academic community, and and some of our staff, you know, have come from an academic background. So, we we keep quite close ties. And what about your own background? I mean, how did you get into, and what, what led you to, uh, <laughs> to, to observation data analytics? What's your... Um, so I've always worked in sort of uh, mathematical modelling of, of one kind or, or another. Um, I didn't quite start off at the very beginning in, in the space sector, but uh, I did want to go into the space industry from, from the outset. Um, uh, I worked a little bit in other aerospace work, um, and then... Uh, Spent quite a number of years working on satellite design. Um, my, my speciality was actually on the sort of mathematical analysis around the guidance systems, um, okay. but uh, mostly for, for Earth observation satellites, and then I got involved in those uh, more widely. And then uh, came here because it was uh, sort of a natural step for me, looking at uh, that kind of modelling applied to the, the outputs of those Earth observation satellites. What was your original degree? What was your sort of? I'm am a physicist by training, okay, and uh, become an engineer, I suppose, <laughs> over the years. That's the best kind, I think. So. <laughs> and um, and what about you, Philip? What's your what's how did you get to? Um, so I had more of a software background, okay. twenty odd years, but actually started, um, I guess, a, a, a slightly 
aligned field, was working for an organisation uh, which, in fact, we, we both worked at, not at the same time, <laughs> which was looking at tracking and tracing um, illegal timber, essentially trying to, to combat the illegal, illegal um, timber market, um, which wasn't quite using satellites, but it was using kind of tra tra track and trace systems. Uh, and then uh, a few of us who worked for the same company um, now work for, for this company here, for, for Resitec. So this is a little bit of an extension of that, I guess. It's yeah. similar sort of, um, you know, looking at the, the world uh, as, yeah, yeah. You know, from, from an environmental perspective. But from the sort of high ground of, uh, of, of, the, of orbiting satellites. That's right, yes. It's, it's an incredibly exciting company. I, I obviously knew quite a bit about it before I came today. It's, it, to me, it just sounds... A, a, a wonderful application of a lot of different aspects of data. We, we talk to a lot of scientists. One of the things that they're always saying is, you know, if you, you ask people, you know, if you were to get into one subject today, you know, what would it be? And it's you know, data analytics and you know that kind of machine learning and stuff. Um, but equally, it, it's always very interesting to find out what people do on a kind of day-to-day -day basis um, and what working for a, you know, an exciting sort of you know fast-growing company would be. So, do you want to just give me a flavour of you know what's your What's your day-to-day? -day? I mean, Philip, do you want to, do you, do you want to start? What, what's kind of a typical day for you? I'm sure you don't have a typical day, but what, what would be a... I mean, obviously, t meeting Tim Peake is, is obviously... Uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's, 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 not, that's not typical. <laughs> and incredibly varied, you know. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're a fast-growing, you know, SME, um, so all of the challenges that come with that. So, you know, typically, uh, you know, raising the profile of the organisation is very important. Um, so maybe you know talking to, to the press, trying to you know get some new stories out. Um, you know we need to make sure that we've got new business coming through. So uh, you know focusing on how do we how do we get the word out there, but how do we get some more you know leads into the into the business? But then also looking at well what is our proposition to market? You know continually honing that proposition because you know this is an evolving marketplace. Uh, you know there's more data that's uh, that's available. Uh, all the time. So, how do we make sure that what we're providing fits the market? So, you know, there's a lot of work involved in trying to understand what you know prospective customers want, and how does that match uh, our our propositions? So, you know, an enormous variety really of of, of tasks. It's never boring put that way. <laughs> and is that? I mean, is that sitting down with? Uh, you know, Companies is that going to trade show trade shows? Is that what, what? How do you how do you get out there into the how, how do you actually physically do that? So we do we try and um, attend a lot of um, conferences, trade shows where we're relevant. You know we're a global organisation, so we need to try and make sure that we have you know extend our global footprints, and you know you need to be in countries in order to yeah. start to do business with them. Um, but also uh, you know meeting prospective customers talking to you know talking to um, prospective customers and really finding out what is it that they want you know because we've got our we've got our core um, services mm. that we offer but we need to be constantly looking at where where is next you know where's the killer app uh, so you know we're on, on the hunt for those killer apps and that does involve talking to uh, you know analysts industry experts yeah. uh, end users you know prospective customers whole range of stakeholders. You must have conversations with people and, and there's a little bit of a calibration needed because they're coming in thinking, hey, you guys you guys are looking down on our assets from space, you can solve our problems and you must be occasionally going, 
just hold on there. There is that. Yeah. There's, you know, there's we call the Jason Bourne effect, and everybody thinks that <laughs> we're able to, you know, follow people real time and see see what the newspaper they're reading, etc. Can, can you track these kind of things? Yeah, you see, know, can we chat these stuff. It's not, I, mean, I mean, you can do that, but you probably need to spend an awful lot of money on uh, on on your own satellite. Stories from science. No, so it's, it is about education. It's about um, you know setting ex- aligning expectations with with what's actually possible. Um, but we need those conversations because this is a new area. You know, we don't know what we can do with it yet. We're scratching the surface. That's true. You know, we need those use cases, um, and you know, we need those from from people who've got those problems. Um, so yes, there is a kind of there's a, there's an educational piece. But even in the last two three years, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a much better understanding of how satellite data can be used, you know, to impact a lot of organisations across a whole range of, of challenges. So, you know, we're getting there in terms of, of, of understanding of, of what we can do, but it's then taking that into what is a tangible, you know, service that people are willing to pay money for and actually provides real value to their business. You know, that's that's the key to all of this. So I guess you also need quite a bit of discipline not to kind of go off down quite a few rabbit holes. Well, yes, so there's maybe, a constant, <laughs> it's a constant discussion with Andrew and, and, and the sales team yeah. as to can we do this, can we do this, can we do this tomorrow? But actually, you know, in order to grow the business sustainably, yeah. you know, we need to have a bit of product discipline. Yes, so my, my time uh, is, is spent uh, really a lot on just that. So um, we get uh, a lot of interest from a lot of different directions. And uh, although you know we're generally processing satellite and other geospatial data as a common theme, the application areas we're working in are very varied, very different industries that are our customers. Um, so a lot of my time is spent trying to make sure that the bits of technology development that we're doing that require a lot of effort are sort of consolidated and coordinated so that we do achieve everything that uh, that our customers want, but we do so in such a way that we don't uh, kill our staff in the process. That's <laughs> <laughs> always, ch- always the challenge, isn't it? So the, 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 the come back and say, we can do anything, that's software, and it's like, well, hang on a second, we can't quite do that. <laughs> But there are, there, there are actually, once you get under the hood, there are often a lot of synergies yeah. um, in the technical solutions. So once we've you know, rationalised um, all of that, we can usually find a plan that means uh, everybody's happy. So, so are, you, are you managing a team, uh, like a team of programmers, or uh, what, how, how is your kind of, is it meetings? Is, are, you, are you getting your hands dirty with code? I mean, what's, what's kind of the, what's the day-to-day aspect? Uh, I try not to be interfering in people's code. <laughs> uh, <laughs> However tempting it may be, but uh, we have uh, we have software developers, um, we have uh, analysts who are focused on sort of Earth observation data, we have uh, those uh, who are much more on the sort of data science uh, side, and then we have uh, a team who are more focused on you know, finding the right sort of technical solutions for specific customers. Okay. Um, uh, and actually, and that's another part of my time is, is finding the right people. Um, that's a, a, a constant challenge is, is finding you know people to fit into specialist roles yeah. uh, and continue to sort of expand the, the business capability uh, as, the, as the company grows. In terms of our staff, you know, the, the, everybody works in this office and actually it's been a huge benefit being under one roof because you know those corridor conversations have a lot of value in themselves. Yeah. We do have uh, some sort of contractors and so forth who are working a bit more remotely. Uh, and we have international partners as well 
uh, around the world who we're working with all the time. So it is it is constantly a very international engagement, um, and we often have uh, you know, teleconferences at funny times of day and, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, people having to travel. Okay. Um, but uh, as a as a sort of core uh, staff, uh, we like to try and spend as much time under one roof together as we can uh, to get those those sort of stimulating conversations yeah, going yeah. that aren't aren't a formal scheduled meeting. No. The, the, the sort of the water, the water cooler chatters that they, that they sort of say. But. Yeah, because aside from the business-driven, uh, you know, meeting a, a company's or a customer's need, uh, you do get ideas that come up just uh, in conversation that uh, can be a runner as a, you know, as a, a new technology for the company mm. and worth, worth exploring. Excellent. We try to inspire, you know, we have, we have regular off-sites, um, you know, once a year, we take everybody off uh, walking, climbing. You know, last year we did a Yorkshire Three Peaks, which involved a 39 kilometer walk in one day. I think maybe we overstretched everyone there. But this year we did a quite a calm eight, eight mile walk. But it's a really good opportunity to get everybody out of the office uh, talking to people they might not yeah. talk to every day. And, it, and we find it really helps just kind of bond the company and you know, derive new, new ideas. And, a strange, and, and in a strange kind of way without sounding too sort of. Uh, taking this too far but you're out in the landscape you're out in the physical world which is where Resitech really kind of you know is doing its stuff so yeah absolutely I mean it's it's sometimes difficult if you're sitting in front of a screen all day to uh, get people out into the fresh air well we are experts on spotting crops (laughs) at all stages of emergence uh, peat, we're very good at spotting peat, lots of different uh, <laughs> ecological environments. So, so, yes, it's good to get out in the field. Yeah, on the walk this year, we got to the top of the hill, and uh, a few of us commented as we were looking over the landscape uh, okay, who's working out what, what, what field is what crop? Excellent. And I mean, you, you talk about it's constantly a challenge to recruit the right kind of people. Um, what particular challenges and opportunities come from, from being in the, in the science field? Would you say? I mean, there's a huge benefit in that there is definitely a, a strong sense of community among the businesses mm. and among people working in the sector. Um, you know, people often, as they move from company to company, will have worked with some familiar faces. Um, so, so there, and that, and that builds links between those companies in a in a really positive way uh, and collaborations and so forth. So, there's there's a huge amount of opportunity that comes out of that. Mm. Um, in terms of Challenges, I suppose uh, the world can sometimes seem very small uh, <laughs> as you uh, keep bumping into the same people uh, uh, over and over. But, you know, we're, we're, we're out in Oxfordshire, but we're only 45 minutes on the train into central London. We're near Heathrow Airport. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah, a, yeah. Good, it's a good place to have a hub. Yes, and we've got, you know, there's, there's Oxford up the road, you know, at Reading yeah. the other way, you know, so it's, it's, it's a good kind of hub place to be for us and, and if there's anyone listening to this and thinking man that sounds like a really exciting area to get into because you know people get motivated by lots of different things but we've we've touched on a lot of different stuff you know we've touched on sort of strategic uses of assets so like water which has huge implications for for security you know and, and, and around the world you know environmental protection you know forestry and i'm sure other other things as well um you know crop security how would you, what would you recommend for people who, who want to get into this area? I mean, what, what, what should they be? Any, any recommendations about it? I know this is putting you on the spot here, but um, any recommendations of what they should be studying or, or you know, things that they should be choosing as, uh, to go into? Um, 
I mean, obviously, people who studied a, a science uh, or, or maths backgrounds uh, helps enormously. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you haven't, then I think you know, having done something uh, practical and, and demonstrable in, in, the, in a relevant field can actually work just as well. So actually, a lot of people in the software sector didn't start uh, for example, in in the science education background, right, um, and have just you know, worked their way up in the software direction. Um, I think the other thing is just enthusiasm for the subjects. You know, if you, yeah. pe people do like that as as an employer, the, the enthusiasm for the work that you do. And I think coming back to what you're saying about the science fail and working in science, you know, one of the, the big benefits is just people feel they have a, a real sort of purpose in their work and. Mm -hmm. And that breeds a certain culture in companies where you know, people you know, collectively want to achieve a positive outcome, uh, both for themselves as a team, but also for the, the impact of the work they're doing and, and you know, looking for other people with that outlook. And I guess, uh, as you say, um, if you can uh, point to you know, you're, you're improving crop yields or contributing to... Yeah. You know, to, to, to sort of improving the countryside, that must be tremendously, uh, you know, make, makes you feel very good. Absolutely, all this science technology ultimately is, is helping mm. to achieve better outcomes, you know, for the wider world, not just yeah. for the business. So that's kind of the science technology sort of slant from, from the operation side of things. I mean, you know, because this is, I mean, would you classify ResTech as still a startup? Because it, 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 it kind of feels, I mean, I've seen a few bean bags around, it kind of feels it has a little bit of a startup feel to it. Um, but we're it, not, I mean, technically we're not a startup no, anymore. No. You know, we're, um, we're nearly 40 people. It's very tangible what we do. You know, a lot of people come here because they do like to see the, the you know, that there's, there's a kind of, um, direct um, benefit to what we do and you can see that for example at the moment we're working in Mexico working with um, Mexican wheat and sugarcane farmers and what we're trying to do there is help them improve their yields which will improve their, their economic livelihoods yeah. um, and so there are projects which are very commercial um, but there are also projects which have a, a probably a wider you know environmental you know so sociological um, you know a approach so, you know, there's a, a cross-section of, of, of projects that we work on. Um, so it's really... So, maybe, so anything, really. <laughs> so well, as long as you've got the enthusiasm and, 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 and a bit of domain expertise. But, I mean, without being too, putting too fine a point on it, um, then, then, then really a passion for some of these areas, some, some qualification and some, some experience. Yes, yeah. And also, you know, it's an it's a, it's a emerging sector, so there's not really a traditional route in. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of our... Uh, our guys have maybe a you know environmental science mm. background, uh, but some of them come from from other sorts of industries. Uh, certainly, industry sectors that we focus on, like agriculture and infrastructure, and, you know, if you've got some experience there, yeah. that that's a good thing. But but yeah, I think because we're still quite immature in terms of a general sector, yeah. you know, it's quite difficult to to surmise what might be the traditional route. And okay. Um, okay, so the last question. Um, What's the thing with the Eden project? Because that looks superb. Um, you've got a so so as I understand it, it. I mean, I've been to. The, I love the Eden project, and they always have some sort of you know quasi science slash art installation. But this one's called. Is it called Invisible Worlds? So I believe Resitech is going to have a part in on that. Is, is that? Sort That's of? absolutely right. Yes. So we're very fortunate to be getting some space uh, down at the new exhibit. 
at the EAT project. Um, and when we do exhibits, that will be really about bringing the kind of information that we normally share with businesses and business-to-business um, engagement uh, to the wider community. Um, and also, actually, as part of that project, to perhaps smaller landowners um, who might find that kind of data useful but wouldn't normally either be able to afford to or even think to okay. uh, engage a company like us uh, to provide information about, about their landscape. So there'll be some sort of citizen science in terms of uh, trying to get that those ground calibration points from uh, visitors uh, and uh, also some, you know, obviously us, sharing some of the data that we've got about the UK in particular and, and the landscape with uh, the public uh, in uh, an interactive Wow. Uh, visitor exhibit, yeah, and then people can see that when we go down to the to the projects, and uh... they will be able to, yeah. So it won't be launching for a few months yet, okay. but uh, but when it does, absolutely, yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll try and keep track of that and put it on the put it on the website. Um, is there a, is there a, a, an Earth observation area which most excites you? This is really putting you on the spot. So you know, in terms of this incredibly exciting, fast moving, fast developing. You know, we've got satellites going up almost daily. What's the area that most excites you? What that you could kind of put your finger on and say, this this area is is, is going to you know make some big changes or big transformations. That's really putting you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm going to give a, a two two pronged answer to that. So I suppose professionally, uh, the the sort of the new technology that at least commercially uh, is now um, arriving is video from space. So. Uh, there are a couple of companies, one uh, in the UK, um, EarthEye uh, Earth and yeah. uh, Surrey Satellites are collaborating um, on satellites to uh, take video snapshots from space. Uh, so that's the, they're, they're, if you like, in our upstream yep. supply chain and um, we need to think about what we might be able to do in terms of downstream applications yeah. of that kind of new data. Um, in terms of uh, more personally, uh, Earth observation, I suppose I'm uh, most interested in the, the other Earths, the exoplanet observations that are coming from uh, uh, new telescopes and so forth that are being launched. And uh, well, we've got the James Webb telescope yeah. coming up soon. So, you, I mean, f- from your, from a personal perspective, is that sort of a personal thing, or is that something that you think, yeah, we, we we have the tech, we have the technologies in Resitech which could be brought to bear on some of this new data? Um, maybe maybe t- t- 10, 20 year time frame or something. Well, I suppose uh, Phil might see other planets as uh, new markets, <laughs> uh, opportunities for the business, although deployment might take uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit of time. You speak Martian. <laughs> Uh, for me, it's, it's, yeah, it's a pure, yeah. pure science interest as a, as, a, as a physicist. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think it's going to be incredibly ex- exciting to get our first sort of chemical or whatever data back from planets and be able to spot potentially uh, Earth 2s. But anyway, excellent. Well, on that note, on that very positive interplanetary uh, note, I'm going to say thank you so much um, to Dr. Andrew Carroll and Philip Briscoe. Thank you so much for your time today. Hi, everyone. This is Mark, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Just a couple more things before we end the podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other interesting bits and bobs from today's show at www.storiesfromscience.co.uk or just Google Stories from Science. 
podcast. If you enjoyed this and any other episode, then please consider subscribing and leaving a review. Every review helps us to learn and improve and spread the stories we uncover to a wider audience. And it only takes a moment. Thanks for listening and being part of the Stories from Science community. Until next time, goodbye. Stories from Science.